Father, Lord, you are so beautiful to us, Lord. Father, anyone who has tasted of the heavenly gift, Lord, would have to look and see how gracious you are. Lord, and we're asking tonight, Lord, that you just come, light the fires, Lord, that once burn bright and clear. Fan the flames, Lord Jesus. Help us to take your word, to live it, Lord Jesus, to shine it all around. Lord, that we could be a lighthouse set on a hill, Lord, that others would come and see and that they could have the, 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 the lamp to their pathway lit, Lord. Father, we just look to you tonight. ask you to help me just to step aside, that the Holy Spirit could come and speak tenderly, Lord, to each and every heart, each soul, Lord, each need that's here present, Father. You are able to meet them, and I pray you'd raise our faith up. Lord, to answer the need that we have in our lives, Lord. We commit the service to you. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the singing. Thank you for Brother Danny, Lord, and each musician. Father, we love you so much, Lord. We love to sing your praises. Lord, we ask you just come now and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, musicians. That's all the singing will do. Amen. Hey, let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of John, John chapter 2. Amen. Amen. We sure enjoyed it this morning. Just an Easter message. It's paid in full, but I don't really have an Easter message tonight as I'm kind of realized every message is Easter because what a resurrection this is. Amen. And let's just take it here at John chapter 2, perhaps a, a little bit of a different text, but a scripture that has been largely misunderstood in a secular world. But in verse 1, it says, In the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. We know that she was nothing more than a borrowed womb. She was not the egg. She was a womb, an incubator that God used, and she was blessed to be used. No difference than we are today, blessed to be used of God, that he would come and live in a people. Amen. And it says, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And it says, and when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, they have no wine. And it says in verse 4, it says, And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Yeah, that's some good faith. He just told her, my hour's not yet come, and she didn't have a clue what he was going to do, but she said, 
Whatever he says do, do it. We could just repeat those words over and over today. Whatever the word of God says do, just do it. (laughs) Amen. His mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith to you, do it. And there was set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. And Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now I'm sure there was some protest there. They didn't just say, okay. Though perhaps in their hearts they realized she said, do what he said, do. I don't understand why. But maybe they thought, why water? I thought we asked for wine. If somebody's got wine, bring us some wine, please. Because we're having a feast and we need the the guests to drink wine and things and we need this to happen. We asked for wine. He says, just go get water. But thankfully they obeyed. It's not about uh, the little doubts and the little things that we think, well, I don't know how this is all going to work out. Obey the word of God. He says, fill them with water and they did right to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. Then the ruler of the, when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. And the governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning hath set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. After this he went down to Capernaum and his mother and his brethren and his disciples and they continued there not many days. Amen. May the Lord have a blessing to the word. You may have your seats. Now, I want to just take a few notice of of some things here that really Jesus has called him, called, or there's there's really four or six disciples following him. He has Andrew and Peter, James and John, and Philip and Nathaniel all gathered together at this point. And that I, I just off the top of my head, perhaps there's more, but they've gone down and they've gone down to a feast. And as far as they're concerned, They're looking at him. This is the Messiah. This is the one that John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. And this is the one we're all looking to. And now where are we going? We're going to go eat and drink. Perhaps it seemed, I'll just say, silly or foolish that what would the Messiah have to do at a wedding feast? Why would we want to go just down to a wedding feast just to happen to uh, uh, drink something and be with somebody or bless somebody? Or maybe they thought this was some important individual because uh, the Messiah is coming to their wedding. I mean, uh, how, how great could you be? Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. But really there was a purpose in all of it that as he gets there, we find they ran out of wine. And I'll say it this way, nothing happens without a purpose. Yeah. There was a purpose in that that they ensured that... that it wasn't happen chance because it was an incredibly large uh, embarrassment to the host to run out of wine. 
to run out of drink halfway through the feast and all of a sudden that they're out of it and now what do we do? We're going to be so embarrassed. We, we miscalculated. We didn't recognize. Maybe too many people came. Maybe too many people drank too much. I don't know. But either way, they recognize we don't have enough to go on. But we know there was a purpose and in the purpose was for Jesus to come and for Jesus to do something that would manifest his purpose of being there. And now as he, as he, as he comes down and, and even his, his, his mother, as the Bible puts it, says, you know, do something about it. You know, you're the Messiah, just do something about it. But what, that's not how you approach the Lord. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how you approach. You can't approach him as just do something. I got a problem, just fix it for me. No, but he says, no, my hour's not yet come. That's not the, what I'm here for right now. But finally she recognized in faith and said, whatever he says do. Not in other words, not what I say do, not what I say. This is how it has to be. But Lord, whatever you say do, just do it. Whatever he says, uh, just obey him and whatever he makes come to pass. But we know you could take a very carnal uh, viewpoint of the scripture and talk about how it was wine and how we ought to drink and on and on. The, the, the secular world debates and goes on and on. But we find that Jesus, we want to look at it and recognize it was a much more spiritual meaning behind the scripture than wine and water water because they were representations of something and he said fill it with water before Jesus Jesus before he came on the earth there was still the washing of the water by the word the water represented the word of God but up to that point it was the Old Testament and we find if you'd read it in Romans chapter 7 Paul would write in verse 9 says for I was alive without the law once but when the commandment came sin revived and I died he says later on that the power of the law or the power of of sin is the law because it was something that brought condemnation upon an individual it was water it was good but it brought a recognition of sin but it didn't bring a deliverance from sin or a freedom from sin amen but with Jesus the word of God is turned from water into wine the word of God is no longer just water where it is it, it is good for to drink and it is water but there is a stimulation that now comes with the revelation of the word that is that is beyond just a condemnation instead it is a stimulation yeah. you with me yeah. this is very basic and very simple but I want to just step into it very slowly but, is, but with Jesus, the word of God was turned from water to wine. And now in Romans 8, verse 3 to 4, it says, and, and, and sorry, Brother Mark, I didn't give you a couple scriptures here, but it says, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Amen. Now notice the water that was in those jars that was changed to wine, it still was the same water. He didn't pour the jugs out and go and get wine and fill them up. No, he changed it from water into wine. It was the same thing. He didn't take the Old Testament and do away with it, but he brought about the righteousness that it was meant to fulfill. He gave us strength by the Holy Spirit to be able to fulfill the word, to be able to fulfill the righteousness of the word. That the entire point of this being the first miracle that Jesus performed, that he was doing more than just performing a miracle, but he was signifying that the stimulation of revelation only comes through Jesus Christ. 
It doesn't come through man's ideas. It doesn't come by theology. Now, we're going to get into that in a bit, but we find that theology will even take the word of God and make it of no effect. In other words, it'll take the one that God has displayed, and it'll instead turn it back into water, and just it's just plain old water again. Because you could explain it away. But rather, through Christ, it could have a stimulation behind it that would change the way an individual would even act. This isn't his purpose. It was a display that his purpose for being here was to put life into the word. Was to make it more than just a letter, just a tradition, just something that was taught from man to man to man. But it put a life behind it so that it could even look like in the dark ages it would be no more. But it had to go into the ground and die in the dark ages so that way it could come and bring new life again back to the original. Amen. It wasn't just the word anymore, but he came to quicken it to the worshiper. Amen. I want to take, I've asked Brother Mark if he would put the quotes up on the screen for you because I have a few of them and it would be good to follow through. And and really, as I announced this morning, I'm I'm speaking tonight on uh, really part one of the mind of an overcomer, but to take a subtitle of this is that and this. This is that, Joel 2.28, that he would pour out his spirit in the last days upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters would prophesy and your young man or your old man would dream dreams and your young man would see vision. This is that. As Peter stood up in, in, in the day of Pentecost and he stood up and said, this is that. It's the same thing today. That experience didn't go away because Peter said the promise is to you and to your children as many as the Lord our God shall call to them that are far off as many as the Lord our God shall call. But now we find that it was still, it's still the same experience today to get the new birth, to get the stimulation by revelation, to get all of those things. This is that. It hasn't. The spirit has not changed. But I want to say, and this. It's not adding on to it, but rather there is a furtherance of the revelation of the Word of God that comes and backs up that. Now, in the message, the first seal, as Brother Branham would begin to break the first seal, paragraph 75. Amen. Brother Branham would say, and then there is the coming forth, seven mysterious thunders. That's not even written at all. You find that in the book of Revelations, how he would, that there would be seven thunders that would utter forth their voices, and it wouldn't be written at all, but he says, all right. He says, and I believe that through those seven thunders will be revealed in the last days in order to get the bride together for rapturing faith. Amen. Amen. There was a purpose for it. It wasn't just to say, look what the mysteries are. As we know, these seven thunders, they were revealed in the opening of the seven seals. That even Brother Branham, after the opening of the seven seals, he still thought, I'm going to come back and preach, come back and preach. But finally he recognized that they were already opened in the opening of the seven seals because that's what the seals were. They were the seven thunders thundering out. Amen. And he says, we believe that those seven thunders will be revealed in the last days in order to get a bride together for rapturing faith. In other words, there was a purpose behind it. It was to bring faith to a people in order to allow them to go in a rapture. Amen. To bring their faith up to a level or to purpose their faith. I want to just say that with, with, with emphasis. To purpose their faith. To give them faith for a purpose. Amen. Because faith, oh, let's not get ahead of myself. Because what we are, what we got right now, we won't be able to do it. 
This is at the beginning, paragraph 75, the beginning of preaching the seven seals, the first seal he's just opening up, and he's saying, before these seals are revealed, what we got right now isn't enough for a rapture. We need those seven thunders to be revealed. We need the word for our day to come and be revealed in order for a bride to catch enough faith for a rapture. And really to change the purpose of their faith from a Pentecostal meaning to a bride meaning. To change the purpose from having faith for the gifts and the signs and the wonders and all these things going on. To change it to, to come up a little higher. Better move on. Because there is something we've got to step further. We can't, we can't have enough faith for divine healing hardly. We've got to have enough faith to be changed in a moment to be swept out of the earth. And we'll find out after a while that Lord willing, find where it's written. In other words, it was always in the scripture. But it had to be revealed. That the seven seals were not on top of or plus, but it was the revelation of what was already written in the Bible. Amen. I want to take another quote. Brother Branham says in 1965, does God change his mind? He says, but to me, I believe that the word of God is right. I don't believe it's of any private interpretation. I believe it's just what it says. That's the truth. That's the way I take it. Just on the basis of it being the word of God. That sounds a lot like what Mary said. Whatever he says, do it. Don't take it on any other basis of I don't get it. It doesn't matter if you get it. What matters is that you have faith in what the Lord Jesus has already spoken. He says now, he says, I haven't got faith enough maybe to make all of it act. But I certainly wouldn't want to stand in the way of somebody who did have faith enough to make it act. My, what did I say? This, was, this, is, this is in uh, a few days from now, actually, April of 1965. And here, Brother Brown's preacher say, I might not have that faith, or I don't think I have that faith to make it all act, but I don't want to stand in the way of somebody someday who does. It's like, for instance, Enoch had enough faith that he didn't have to die. He just took an afternoon stroll and got tired here on earth and just walked on up to heaven. I'd certainly like to have faith like that, but I hope we do get that faith someday as we grow on into him. Oh my. Praise be to God. I hope we've come to that place because that's the place we need to come to as the bride of Christ that it's no longer... Uh... See, what are you saying, Brother Randall? Are you saying we need to have more faith than Brother Branham in 1965? Is that what I'm saying? Yes. Does that shock you? Good. How could we do that? And God, God did so many mighty works through him. Yeah. Brother Bannon would even say, and it was absolutely the truth, that he did more mighty works through his ministry than he did through his own when he walked here on earth. Yeah. It was a wonderful display of the power of God. How is it possible? You say he was the wave sheaf. 
Essentially, yes. But you'll find in a further quote that the word was the wave sheaf. And we'll get to that. It was brought to us through a man, but it was God in the man that was waved, not the man. Don't go out and be a bunch of Branhams, but come to the maturity of the word that was in him, that we could have the same maturity of the word that's in us today. Amen. That it would produce a faith for a rapture. The mighty faith that he had was for a purpose of drawing attention to the message of calling out a bride for Christ. Notice that the purpose of the faith of Brother Branham was to perform signs and wonders so that we we would draw attention. The purpose of his faith was also to go into the presence of God to get the message to have the sword come down Sabino Canyon into his hand, to recognize, to break the seven seals, that was the purpose of Brother Adam's faith. It was a purpose to call a bride out for Christ. We're not called to bring a bride out for Christ. We're called to be that bride. The faith of Eliezer was not the faith of Rebecca. Eliezer had faith that I had to go down and he had to get a bride. But Rebecca wasn't wandering around thinking, maybe it's somebody else. Maybe I better call somebody else. Maybe I'm going to have to pass the torch one day. No, she was thinking on the thoughts of Eliezer's words as she went down, just riding on the Holy Ghost power that brought her to her Isaac. The purpose of our faith is for a rapture. And it lays in the spoken word the message of the hour. Now I want to change the gear a little bit here just to lay a bit more foundation if we go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We'll just read one scripture here. I want to lay out a bit of what I have already laid out before on free moral agency, but... 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 says, Casting down imaginations. Remember that our main title tonight is The Mind of an Overcomer. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Amen. It's important to take this scripture and recognize that there are some thoughts that go through our mind that need to be cast down. Some thoughts that are inherently bad and some thoughts that we may even look at and say, well, that's kind of a good thought. But if it is exalting itself against the knowledge of God, in other words, if it's against the revelation of the word of God, cast it down. Even if you could say in your reasoning, well, it kind of makes sense. Well, I kind of see how this would work out. But if it's not according to the word, it's not a thought worth thinking. Now, we have what we call, what Brother Bannon would call, a free moral agency. In other words, you have a right in yourself to choose, to accept or to reject. Now, as I've said before in past services, new thoughts 
that come by the way. We are not thought processors. We are th- we're not thought generators. We're thought processors. In other words, new thoughts that come by, they come by inspiration from a spirit, either from God or from the devil. And they come by our way. And we can ponder on them. We can think on them. We can cast them out. We can process them in different ways. We have a mind to process those thoughts. And I'll say that applies to new thoughts. But there's old thoughts that get logged in your memory that you can suddenly begin to pick up in your imagination and begin to toy with them all over again. And you're going to say, where did this come from? Oh, yeah, right. Five years ago, I was thinking on these things, and now I'm back in the same place. It says to cast down your imaginations, and I want to take it a step further tonight and say, it is, it, 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 we, we often consider everything that we think is bad comes from the devil. And everything that's good comes from God. But sometimes bad happens to us, and we immediately blame the devil. And good happens, and we immediately praise God. Now, I know some of you are so quiet because you're like, what are you setting, setting me up for here? I don't want to jump up and down and say amen, and then you rip the carpet out from under me. You're smart. Thank you. We immediately assume those things because like, well, that's good. And oftentimes, like I said, it's an imagination that begins to convolute things because we often operate on a realm of human compassion. We operate on a realm where because it seems like we're doing good for somebody, you know, then obviously it must be good. But yet we find that Jesus, when he went to the pool of Bethesda, walked by, I don't even know how many sick people to get to one. And you see, it would be like a good thought to say, you should heal all these people. You got the power to do it, you should heal all of them, and that would be considered a good thought. You want another example is, Jesus said that I must, I, I must die, I must suffer many things. And Peter stands up and says, as far be it from you, you will never die. I'll never let these things happen to you. You're, you're the Messiah. And I, forgive me, I'm paraphrasing that. But then Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. It seemed like that was a good thought. Why would you want your Messiah to die? Yeah. But it was from the devil. You see what I'm saying? It has to come back and line up with the word of God. Because if we just take it as bad as the devil and good as God, then immediately it doesn't leave any room for the, for, for the humanity of ourselves. And we just live and it makes the worshipers nothing more than a rag doll tossed about by passing winds. Where it's just, oh, it's, everything's bad today, everything's bad. Everything's good today, everything's good. Everything's God and then the bad is all the devil. I'm just trying to change our vocabulary a little bit. Where we get to the the ideology away from being good as God and bad as the devil, but rather we look at the word as God. Anything contrary is the devil. See, you've got to have an anchor in something stronger than you. Because if your anchor is you, you'll find yourself exactly in the shoes of Peter. You'll find yourself exactly in the shoes of all his disciples as they were walking by the pool of Bethesda wondering why he wouldn't heal all of them. He'll find that, oh my, it's a terrible place to be walking. Though by human compassion standards you could say it makes sense. You see, as a free moral agent... We must consider these things and be careful we don't get lost in our own imaginations. We must consider as a free moral agency that we don't have the right to choose what God reveals to us, either good or bad. 
There was a time that Brother Branham had a vision about the daughter of Brother, uh, I want to say Brother Shikarian. Forgive me if I'm, Demas Shikarian. That she would die at a certain time. And someone else came and prophesied, stood up and spoke in tongues in the service, said, oh no, it won't be that way. She'll live on to the rapture. And his son, Billy Paul, he was a little bit confused by it, but we find that what happened, he said, hey, that's what the Lord showed me. That's all I can say. Why would God show someone death? Because that was on his mind. God said, this is my will. We don't know the reason why she had to pass away, but we know that God said she's going to have to go now. We don't understand why. You find if you read it down, you'll find another place where, where, where another sister died and they were just crying. They didn't understand why and what was going on. Why Brother Branham said it's the Lord's will and all these things. And finally they came to him and he said she was supposed to die in a creek where she was drowning and you rescued her. That was her time to go. And now God finally took her off the scene. That was God? Yeah, that was God. And yet it was the same God that would stand there night after night. Night after night. And people would come with sicknesses and diseases and cancer and TB and all kinds of things. And they'd be healed, they'd be healed, they'd be healed, they'd be healed, they'd be healed. The same God. Even to the point where there'd be a dead baby come to him in Mexico, Mexico, I think it was. Yeah, a dead baby in Mexico that would come up and he would would see a vision of it. He would go down, he would pray for it, and the baby would be healed. God's thoughts are above our thoughts. We don't have the right to choose what God reveals to us. We don't have the right to choose that. We also don't have the right to choose what thoughts the devil throws at us. Boy, if we had the right to choose that, my, we'd make it real easy for ourselves, wouldn't we? <laughs> I, I would. I'd be like, no, you're not going to go there. You're not going to go there. I don't want to think those thoughts either. You just, you want to think, give you something bad to think about? Just nothing. How's that sound? But we don't have that right. That's not our free moral agency. Our free moral agency is the choice to, to receive or to reject. It's the right to choose whether we accept what's presented to us or it's the right to reject what is presented to us. You can read this in the Church Age book if you want to when you go home. See, we cannot choose how Jesus Christ revealed himself in our day. This is real simple. Yeah, I need to lay this foundation. The fact is that none of us probably would have chosen a 7th grade Kentuckian with poor grammar and a temper to bring the message for our day. You go ahead. If that was your first choice, put your hand up. All right, why not? Exactly, because I didn't have another thought, because I didn't have a choice. It never occurred to me to think, well, maybe I had a choice on how God would bring it. No, I didn't have any choice. But the choice came to me to say, do I accept it or do I reject it? Am I going to take it the way God brought it or am I going to reject it? Listen, they didn't have a choice in, in Jesus' day whether he would come riding on a cloud and stairway down, to, down from heaven as a growing man with all power and angels and all these things and overthrow the government and set up his kingdom. They didn't have a choice for that. They didn't even have a choice to say if he would come in a manger, God already spoke how he would come. And their job was to accept it. Or to reject it. And we find the majority of them, all but, well, 12 at the time, rejected it. See, it's, no, it wasn't our choice at what time our li- in our lives he would come by our way. 
It wasn't our choice to say, God, I want you at this specific time because at this specific time is when I'm going to be best suited for you to come. I'm going to have everything in order and then you can step down in my life and I'll serve you the rest of my days. It wasn't our choice. He came by our way at his decreed season, at the timing that he would choose that you would sit in this church tonight and it's your choice whether you want to accept what's being preached or whether you want to reject what's being preached. That's your choice. It isn't our choice the things the accuser will use against us. But it's our choice to decide to accept or reject. It's our choice to humble ourselves and accept the word made flesh today. It's our choice to accept him in the appointed season. It's our choice to shut out the devil by picking up the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts that he desires to wound you with. You've got to make a choice. It's our choice to stay right with the word and the purpose of us being here. It's our choice to stay behind that purpose or to take what we've learned so far and run off back into denomination or make some kind of an organization out of it. It's your choice. What will you do with this message? We find it came when they came right up to the border of the promised land. The choice was put in the minds of the people. He sent 12 spies over. They came back with a report. And it was according to the people's acceptance or rejectance of that report that determined whether they went in or whether they had to go another 40 years. God isn't going to pick them up and push them through a tube and kick them down to the other end until they finally get it. No, if they're going to reject it, he's going to say, okay, well, then you can go back out in the world and I'll let you know in a few years. 40 to be precise. My. But that was God. That's the will of God, that he would choose it that way to give man the, the idea. It was the choice in the Garden of Eden that he put two trees there. Don't eat of this tree. Don't partake of this fruit. He didn't reveal them to everything about it. He just told them the day you eat throughout the day you die. Honestly, that's all there was to know about it. But we find that the serpent and his he beguiled Eve, and we know it wasn't eating of the fruit, but rather there was a serpent seed that came from a sexual act between Eve and the serpent. But we know that, that through these things, what was going on? Eve had a choice through all of it. She wasn't forced. Forgive me for saying it this way, but she was not raped. She had a choice. And she chose that way. God always put it on the, on the hearts of man, on their free moral agency. He's always brought the word. He's never changed his system. God's always done it the same way over and over. Come in humility, come in simplicity. Brought the message for that day came to the lowest of the low, came to the highways and the ditches and the hedges and all of these things. He came to the people, the poor and the broken and the blind and those kinds of people. He always did that, but it was up to them. It was up to a rich young ruler one day whether he would accept the word or reject the word. He could have had it. He had every right. He was there. He stood right in front of Jesus. All he had to do was do what Jesus said do. And you say that seems so simple, but it hasn't changed today. All you have to do is do what Jesus said do. What did Jesus say do in the book of Acts? 
He said, Peter, in the book of John, I give you the keys to the kingdom. And then you go down to Acts, and, and Peter said, here, I'm going to unlock the door. Repent, everyone. You'll be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, back to the mind. We could get so bogged down in rules. Rules that are good. You'll never find in a real message church a rule that's made with malicious intent. No. They're good. But you get so bogged down in that until you don't have any freedom in the spirit to worship. And our imaginations can even rear up and presume things about others. You can presume something that somebody else thought or thinks that isn't even true or never ever came out of their mouth. And that's how rumors start. Why? Because of the imagination of man that they had an idea of what somebody might think. But it all started in their imagination as something that exalted itself. And God doesn't work in that way. We can rear up and presume things about ourselves. You know, there's, there's an there's a, a, a inspirational saying that, that people say, and I don't know who it came from. I think some hockey star, I think, but I'm not actually sure. But you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That sounds real simple. And came from a carnally minded man. However, it's true. You presume something about yourself and say, I'll never make that shot. Well, then if you never will, if you never take it. You presume something about yourself and say, well, I'll never be able to, I'll never overcome this. You're presuming something about yourself. Say, but the devil has been fighting me on this forever, and I just keep going around this cycle, keep going on a cycle. You're still presuming because you're not taking the word of God, which says that you're more than an overcomer. You can also presume things even about the word. And you can make it say something it doesn't say. You can put something in there and try and inject and twist scriptures this way and that way. And people do it all the time with the word and with quotes. But you have to look at two things in particular. Does it run through the word? Completely from Genesis to Revelation. If it doesn't, I'd suggest you get away from it. Because there's been a lot of doctrines around the message. There's been a lot of doctrines in denominations that what? They, they, they lodged a camp and they presumed something built on one scripture and forgot that it, had, it has to get rid of so many other scriptures to support that one idea. It has to run from Genesis to Revelation. It has to run, and I'll say it this way, from 47 to 65. Are you with me? You can't take it and say, well, before the seals it said this, and after the seals, it, you know, uh, well, whatever, I don't care. Or after the seals it said this, before the seals, no, there, there's doctors that run all the way through. You say, what about progressive revelation, Brother Andrew? Absolutely. It doesn't mean that before the seals, Brother Branham was off the word. It means that he understood it deeper, he had a greater faith in understanding the word of God because God gave him more revelation. When you got born again, it doesn't mean that you were all of a sudden off the word when you didn't understand something. It just meant it wasn't revealed to you yet. And because you stayed and you drew nigh unto God and you stayed and you continually saw his face and he drew nigh unto you and he revealed to you the thing and now you see it. Amen. Amen. Forgive me if it's not all jump up and down tonight like an usual Sunday night, but this morning was a real rejoicing service and... 
I enjoyed it. So tonight we're just kind of hard slogging a little bit. But you know what? You're with me, so it's good. Ask yourself one more thing. Does it produce the fruit of the Spirit? Because there's a lot of dead branches. In one place, Brother Branham says it was supposed to come down and bring the fruit to maturity. I think I've got the quote here. But it also, he says, but there was no fruit to mature. He says, what, but now listen, what is the purpose of the message today? Faith has a purpose, or it's a pointless belief. Faith has to have a purpose. It's a substance that's in your possession for a purpose. Let's go over to James chapter 2. Brother Mark, I didn't give you this one either. James chapter 2, verse 18. I haven't even got to the meat yet, and I'm still way over time. As I said, this is part one. <laughs> Unless you got all week. You know, my poor wife, she's so sweet to me, but I, if I don't preach very often, you know, she, I start preaching to her. So she's heard half of this already because I just start preaching to her. I just can't hold it any longer. But James chapter 2 Verse 18 says, Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits. And that's chapter one, chapter one. Let's go to chapter two now. It says, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you, show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God. Amen. Thou doest well. Yeah, the devils also believe and tremble. All right? But wilt thou know, a vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works? And by works was faith made perfect? Now, Brother Bannon preached a message called Perfect Faith. If you want your faith to be made perfect, it's going to have to be exercised. It's got to have a purpose of being. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled, verse 23, that the, that which saith Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he is called the friend of God. And the, ye see how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. There's so much we could get from this scripture. Rahab believed, but Rahab didn't just sit in the wall when there's messengers banging on her door going, oh Lord, please save me. Lord, please, I really need you now. The Israelites are here, and I'm doomed, and Lord, please save me. And meanwhile, her salvation is banging on the door. She had to turn around and open the door and let them in. 
She had to do something. She had to, there was a work that went with the faith. It was for a purpose. Reasoning would have said, I shouldn't let these people in because the guards are looking for them. And therefore, I'm going to become just as much a sought after person and a wanted person if I let them in as they are wanted. That's the reasonings of man. But something within her said, this is my salvation. This is my chance. This is what I've been praying for. And she recognized her opportunity and she took the opportunity. And she sent them out another way. And the next verse says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Oh my, isn't that the truth? So faith without works is dead also. We can't just say, I got all kinds of faith, but if there's no fruit to come back it up, if there's no works that's going on with it, it's a dead faith. So so will we take our imagination now of what we think the message came to produce? Or are we willing to say or to have faith to, 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 to accept what it said it came to produce? And give ourselves to it. He said, it might be kind of splitting hairs. No, are we trying to to make the message produce something? Or are we willing to say, Lord, let your message produce in me the purpose that it came for. Let me surrender myself to the word of God, not me try and lift up. Just like Mary in the Bible when she said, we need wine, give us wine. And Jesus said, my time is not yet. But when she changed her attitude around and said, whatever you say. All of a sudden, something totally changed and now he was willing to work. (laughs) What was the purpose of it to produce the secret rapture of a supernatural bride. That's a lot in a statement, but that's the quote. So I'll tell you this, when you go home, run it through the word and see what we're called to do today. Let me say this, Jesus had all power. And all them, that all them would believe on him will have everlasting life, John three sixteen. But yet he sat in the synagogue one day. And put his purpose of coming into words right out of the book of Isaiah. He had all power. He could have saved them right there. He could have done all kinds of things. But he brought his purpose in in Luke 4 and 18. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it again to the minister, and sat down, and all the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. Amen. Think about it. He just perfect, perfectly outlined from, the, from the, their own scriptures what his purpose of being there was. It was to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He didn't come to the uppity-ups. He said he came to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, the blind, the bruised. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord to them. That was what his faith was there to manifest. And he constantly reminded his disciples that he must die. That he must go to the poor. That he must die and that he must raise again on the third day. And he wasn't wavering in that fact. 
If you don't believe that, just go read Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand the world's reformed. By faith. God believed his own word. Jesus believed his own word, what it said of him in the Old Testament. And he had faith in that. When Peter, as I mentioned, stood up and rejected the idea would, would, that he would die, Peter rejected it. It didn't cause Jesus to waver and think, oh, maybe I can get around it. No, he said, get behind me, Satan. Forgive me, I'm tripping over my own words. Try and slow down a bit. In the message in 1964, when their eyes were open and they knew him, Brother Branham says, that's the IQ. God's IQ. The world today wants a great IQ, some super genius. Oh, they sure would love a super genius right now, wouldn't they? To figure out what to do with this corona. But here's God's IQ. God's IQ. I think you might have the wrong. Oh, that's, there we go. That's the IQ, God's IQ. Whether you got enough faith right down at the bottom to make these things live and be real. Jesus manifested to the people. See, that's what God's looking for. That's God's IQ. God's IQ, whether you got enough faith to make these things live and be real. Christ manifested to the people. That's exactly what Christ did. That's exactly what Brother Branham did. If you go listen to and read all the eyewitness accounts, he said he made the word of God real. When a man who had all kinds of PhDs and all kinds of LLDs and all kinds of great doctrines of theology came up against a simple uh, Mohammedan, I'm going to call him Muslim, I think that's what they're called, Mohammedan, but they, 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 when he came up to him and he said, what can your Jesus produce that Mohammed can't produce in me? The man turned around and realized, i got to talk to Brother Branham. Why? Because he recognized there's a man with enough of God's IQ to make what's written in the Scripture real. Now I'm here to ask you, what about you? What about me? In questions and answers, in 1964, question and answers number one. He said, if you've got enough faith for your own salvation, can't you have the same faith to work upon your people? What is faith? It's an unseen force. The Holy Spirit brings faith. It's an unseen force. Faith for a purpose. You don't need faith for healing when you're not sick. You with me? When you're not sick, you don't go around saying, oh, Lord, please heal me, oh, Lord, please heal me, oh, Lord, please heal me. You don't go around saying, by his stripes I'm healed, and the Lord's saying, you're perfectly well. You don't need faith for healing when you're healed. When you're sick, you need that faith. There's a faith that has a purpose behind it that says, I need to claim my healing now because I'm sick and I need to be healed. I need to accept what Christ already did for me on Calvary when he said, by his stripes I am already healed. But faith has to have a purpose to it. You have faith that you won't get sick. It's not a different faith. It just changes its purpose. That when you're sick, when you have, let's just say it, when you, if you happen to contract coronavirus, you have faith you'll overcome it. But before you ever contract it and after you're healed, you have faith that you won't contract it. That's just simple unconscious faith. You walk around, you're not putting a faith. Some people are putting their faith in a mask. You say, well, we're all wearing masks, Brother Andrew. Yeah, I know, but I know your faith isn't in that. 
to keep you safe. Trust me, I've seen people. That's not one mask, it's two masks. And a face shield. And you almost want to, has, no, not hazmat, but they walk around and all these things because they got their faith in that. They think that's going to help them, that's going to save them, and maybe there's some science behind it that it might help to some certain percentage, but they know for a fact it doesn't completely annihilate it. So why would you put your faith in something like that? Why not put your faith in the word of God that says that he's your keeper, he's your comforter, he's your healer, he's your protection. It's a subconscious faith when there's a purpose, a circumstance, a need. It brings faith on the scene to meet the requirement. Faith has to have a purpose. Faith is not made to lay dormant. It can be as a Christian, but it isn't made to do that. Brother Branham says it in one place in 1953 where he says, just something stimulate the faith that's in you because being a Christian, it's there, but it may be laying dormant. That person was sick. It was in the prayer line. Why were they in the prayer line? Why were they sick? They had faith, but it was dormant. Oh, my. Fair few more minutes. Just going slow, trying to let you soak it in, as I'm soaking it in too. But the Bible says in the message, Oneness, 1962. It says, now, the word of God is a sword. Hebrews, the fourth chapter, says so. Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, now, it is a sword. And the sword is a perfect dormant if it isn't yielded by a hand or a power. It's exactly right. If you put a sword and you put it in a cage, a glass, something, and you put it away. Some people like to put swords on their mantle. And they like to look at it. It's perfectly dormant. Until you put someone's hand in it and pull it out, then it becomes a weapon. But as long as it's in that sheath, it's on that mantle, it's dormant. It ain't doing anybody any harm. Unless, God forbid, somebody built that mantle terribly and it falls. All right, you're back with me. A sword is perfectly dormant if it isn't yielded by a hand of power, but it takes a hand to hold the sword. It, and take the hand that holds the sword is the hand of faith. Now the hand of faith, it depends on how strong it is. This hand of faith might be just strong enough to cut a little hole through the darkness and say, by faith I'm saved. That's a great cut. But then if that's all the stronger that hand is to, Yield that sword, that's all it can cut. But if it's a strong hand, it'll cut plumb through everything the devil can put out there. Make every promise of God shine forth in the power of his resurrection. If it's a strong hand of faith, the days of miracles, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, cut its way through. It depends on the power of the hand behind the sword. Amen. We can preach all day on the promises of God, and they're absolutely true in every single one of them. But if there's not a strong hand of faith to wield that sword, it does absolutely nothing. It can lay there dormant. One place Brother Brown would say, you learn as you go on in your ministry. He says, sometimes eventually you'll learn that, that you can pray all day for somebody and you can pour a gallon of oil on them and you can shout to your horse. But if there's one unconfessed sin in there, that devil has a right to stay there. 
Why? Because it takes a strong hand of faith to recognize what's happening and what the Word of God needs to happen that that person needs to confess and repent. It has to be yielded or has to be held and wielded. There we go. W in front. Wielded with a strong hand of faith. Now let's go to the message, perfect faith. We might have to end here for time's sake. Perfect faith, Brother Mark. But Jesus lived in the world that no one knowed about. He was an odd person. Now, let me just preface that. Because we look at it today, even people in the world look at it today and they just... Some people say it's fables, and some people look at it and say, well, that's just who it was. It was the son of God. It was a great man, a prophet, of this and that. But in the day that Jesus was living in, he was odd. Perhaps the only thing that reveled his oddness was a man dressed in camel skins and eating locusts and honey. Standing on a riverbank, shouting at everybody, you've got to repent and be baptized. Unto Repentance. And that was the only thing that they could look at and say, maybe he's a little bit crazier. But here's this other guy walking around. He's got 12 followers. Him, and he's, just, he's not going to the temple. He, sometimes he's in the temple preaching. Sometimes he's way up in Galilee. Sometimes he's over in Nazareth. Sometimes he's up in, he's up in Samaria. What in the world do you think he's doing going up there? Don't you know the Samaritans and the, and the Jews, they don't even have fellowship with one another. And here he's going up there, turning the whole city upside down. He was odd. He lived in a world that nobody knows about. Why? He could say, I have needs to go by Samaria. And all his disciples, being Jews, could go, are you kidding me? We're going where? Not a chance. I'm not going up there to Samaria. That's a crazy place. But they didn't understand that he was living in a world that they didn't understand at this point. He lived in a world of perfect faith in the perfect God in which he was. If we lived in a perfect, in the perfect faith of a Christian to what we are, then we would be a mystic to the world. Think about that. If you really lived in the faith that God called you to, you would be a mystic to the world. The people wouldn't understand you. You'd walk in the Spirit what the Spirit said you would do. Would it forbid you would not do? When the people begin to say, you'd be a mystic to them. That's the way it is to all believers. They're a mystic. The people don't understand because they live in a world to themselves. Jesus lived in a world that nobody else could touch. The disciples couldn't understand him. When he spoke to them, they'd say this, and then, he, and then they'd say, why are you talking riddles? We don't understand this. How could this be? See, they wasn't in the world that he lived in because they couldn't understand him. Nobody could understand him. Remember just what I talked about at the beginning? We want to immediately say, good is God, bad is the devil. They couldn't understand the world that he was living in to them. It made sense to heal all the sick people. But to him, it didn't make sense to do that because he was living in a different world. A world of perfect faith and the perfect God. Number 114, so when a man lives by faith and walks by faith, stops for a second, he says, and I mean substance faith. 
He's isolated from the entire world and becomes a new creature in Christ. There, now you're getting into bright material. Oh my, this is really where we're going with the message. Now you're getting into bright material. Not before, not this floundering around sort of faith of, well, today I believe it, tomorrow I don't. But real substance faith that you possess something that is real. It says now you're getting into bride material. What was the purpose of the message? Bride. To produce bride material. You could preach all service on the foolish virgins right there. See, you're getting into rapturing condition now. That means that each one of us, not just the pastors, the deacons, the trustees, that means for the laity, all of us, every individual walks in a world with God alone. Oh my. You're baptized into this kingdom and there's nobody in there but you and God. He gives the orders, you pack them out. Whatever he says, there's not a shadow of a doubt. Nowhere, you walk right on. If the Lord says this, there ain't nobody in the world could talk you out of it and go right on just the same. Now you're coming into perfect faith, perfect perfection that cannot fail and that faith never fails. Oh my, you can take that down, Brother Mark. I'll just preach on this for a bit and then we'll close. Because we find here that Brother Brown, he's laying out what perfect faith is and what perfect faith produces. What is the purpose of perfect, perfect faith? It's to bring a bride into rapturing condition. Amen. That perfect faith, we can say, lies in the messages. Perfect faith lies in the scriptures. Rapturing faith, it lies there. It's our job to accept it. It's our job to take God at his word and do what he says do. You see, because as long as you're not in a world with God alone, it's very difficult to do that. Because you're still influenced by outside forces. You're still influenced by your brother and your sister that are saying things. But I want to tell you that there is a place that an individual, the worshiper, could live that is so alone with you and God that it doesn't matter what the circumstances around you are because perfect faith is the master of every circumstance. Perfect faith is the master of every situation. It's just waiting on you to take God at his word and let everything else fall away. Let everything else go by the wayside. Amen. I'll just take a little bit from another brother where he says this. It doesn't matter who started the race. Are you with me? It doesn't matter who began. It doesn't matter who started. It doesn't matter how many great ministries there were. What matters is who's going to finish it. What matters is who's able to pick up the rapturing faith. What matters is who caught the purpose of what the message came for and stayed right there. This message did not come to bring us back to Pentecost. It didn't come to bring us back to those things. You say, but Brother Andrew, Malachi 4, verse 5 and 6, it was to turn the hearts of the children back to the faith of the apostolic fathers. Absolutely, back to the faith. Oh my. 
this is that. Peter would say those mighty words on the day of Pentecost. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And we can say the same thing today. This is that. What is the Holy Ghost that's being outpoured today on a bride? It's the same thing that Joel prophesied, that the young man and your children would, would prophesy, and the young man would see visions, the old man would dream dreams. There'd be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But it's more than just that. Because the Holy Ghost today is not called to bring us back into a Pentecostal experience. And bring us back to a Pentecostal revelation because the message in Pentecost will not work today. Because that didn't bring them in a rapture. It's not the same measure of the word that was in Pentecost. It's the same spirit. It's the same promises. It's the same Jesus. It's the same experience. And it's the same faith. But the purpose of this message is not the same as the purpose of the apostolic fathers. Their purpose was to spread the gospel. Our purpose is to spread it up. I had to skip over so much, but let me tell you why this is burning in my heart. Because I want to ask you this, what are you looking for? Are you looking for another great revival to sweep and many more souls be saved? Are you waiting for some great persecution? Are you waiting for some great falling away? You say, oh, but Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, he says, the day of the Lord cannot come except there be a great falling away, except the man of sin be revealed. You say, amen to all of that, but let me tell you, the message came and revealed all of those things. You want to know what the falling away is? Listen, the church will have a falling away, but the bride of Christ will not experience one. Why? Because he knows all them that are his and he will not lose one. So one cannot fall away. So the bride of Christ will not have a falling away. And the bride of Christ will not have a physical persecution because he will not put his bride through that kind of thing. Oh my. Maturity. Maturity. To be so lost in Christ that you cast down your own imagination. That all the bickering, all the backbiting, all the carrying on, all the murmuring, all the complaining in the church just fades away and becomes minor background noise. Think about it. To Joshua and Caleb, they were not caught up in it. That was just background noise to the confession of their faith. And they said, we are more than able to take the land. We are more than able to possess all that God has given us because he promised it. And I'm willing to take him at his word. Oh, to be in Christ is so much greater than just the recognition of what he revealed in the last days. It's so much greater than just a recognition of the revelation or a recognition of the prophet messenger. It's more than just good thoughts. It's more than just overcoming the flesh. It's greater than anything this world could ever produce or has to offer. To be lost in Christ is so much greater than that. It's to walk in the spirit, to be pleasing to God. Till this flesh must. Come on, bride. Till this flesh must. Put on immortality. I gotta tell you something. If 
Your theophany is a word body. If you're stuck in some kind of a revelation that it's already over there worshiping God, you're going to have to die to get there. Because the word of God says, if this earthly tabernacle be dissolved, I have another one waiting for me. If this earthly tabernacle, if. Because there's a bride that's going in a rapture. I don't have a clue what's going to happen to this body, but I can tell you the scripture says it will just put on immortality. It will just put on incorruption. Paul would say, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound. The dead in Christ shall raise incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must, not possibly or maybe or possibly at one point in time, it must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. I got to read you one more quote of the rising of the sun. Forgive me for taking you a little bit extra time. It says in, in Rising of the Sun, paragraph 94, don't bother putting it up there. It says, as Christ was the first one to raise from all the prophets and so forth, although typed in many places, he was the first fruits of those which slept. In the bride coming of Christ. In the bride coming of Christ. Coming what? Out of the church. There'll be a sheaf waved again in the last days. Waving the sheaf. What was the sheaf? The first one to come to mature. The first one that proved it was wheat. That proved it was a sheaf. Oh my, that proved that it was the original grain once again. That was the wave sheaf. Hallelujah. I'm sure you see what I'm talking about. It was waved over the people the first time. That will come forth for the bride age. For a resurrection out of dark denominationalism will be a message that the full maturity of the word has turned back again to its full power and being waved over the people. What's being waved? The word is being waved over the people. The word was what brought the first seed to maturity. It was the word of God that's waved over the people again. Praise be to God. And he says this, by the same signs and wonders that he did back there. It says, because I live, you live also, speaking to his wife. Because I live, you live also. What a resurrection that was. What a resurrection this is. To be quickened from the dead. What a resurrection is the spiritual resurrection of a people that are quickened from death unto life. To be made alive in Jesus Christ by God's quickening power. He was waved to them the word which he was. He was waved back on the day of Pentecost. The word made manifest now, I say, is waved again in the last days. That what was the purpose of it? The word being waved to bring to maturity a bride. He said we're in the bride age. You can say all you want that we're not in the bride age. You could say it with all kind of conviction. You could say it with anointing. You could say it with speaking in tongues and prophesying. I don't care. Because the word of God says we're in the bride age. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, but six times. That he says we are in the bride age. That this is the bringing on of the bride age. Why? Because there is a people that are a mystic to the world that they know nothing about. If you want to stay in Laodicea, you go right on ahead. Yeah. 
I've got no interest in being Laodicea. But I have every bit of interest in being a part of the bride. That is a mystic to the world that is living in a different world. Why? Because she's already died to this one. She's already been resurrected to another world. She's already living, we can say it another way, in the eighth day. She's already become a new creation in Jesus Christ. That he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Let's stand to our feet. What was the purpose of the bright age? What was the purpose of the message? It's a resurrection. It's a resurrection out of denominationalism. Let me read it to you another way. He says this, church who I'm speaking out to you tonight across the nation, if you separated yourself from denomination and all the filth and things of the world, then he uses a word, and, conjunction word. He's not grouping in the same. He says, and, all the things that keep you in your man-made creeds and orders and things like that. If you separated yourself, I'd say, okay, we separate ourselves from denomination. I think it was Brother Kyle Morton that came and said, that's low-hanging fruit to preach against denomination because everyone in the world can see there's nothing there. However, he says, but also, this is 1965. Every time he mentions the word bride age is in 1965. And he says this, if you separated yourself from all those things that keeps you in man-made creeds, and orders, and things like that. God's word calls for a total separation from all things we think are bad. No, from all unbelief. From all sin, from everything that would exalt itself against the word of God, God says, get rid of it. You know, it's amazing to me. I mentioned to the young people on Friday, but it's amazing to me how in the Bible, thousands followed Jesus when he preached about blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. When he was raising the dead, when he was healing the sick, when he was feeding 5,000, 4,000, breaking bread, and oh my, people loved it. There were thousands of them that were like, this is it, this is the guy, this is the Messiah, right? Then Jesus comes down and he says, well, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no part in me. And thousands went, no, thank you, and walked away. Why? They couldn't find that in the Torah. You couldn't find that in the Old Testament. But that was the word for the day. That was God made flesh. And there were still 82 of them there, 70 of ministers, along with the 12 disciples that were hanging on, said, all right, well, we'll... We'll swallow that. And he says, what if you see the Son of Man ascend up, to heaven, ascend up into heaven from whence he came? Forgive me if I have those two mixed up. But then the 70 went, Phew. we know this man. He's from Nazareth. His father is a carpenter. His mother's Mary. And a matter of fact, I'm starting to think those other rumors about illegitimacy and all these things, those might be true. And they walked away. What did Jesus do? He didn't go, oh man, what was I thinking? Really should have been more careful with my words. 
No, sir, we know the scripture. He said, well, you go also? He was living in a world by himself. It didn't matter if anybody else was walking beside him. It was him and God. He knew exactly where he was standing. He knew exactly what had to happen. So he just turned to them because he knew who they were, and he knew he called them, and he knew that one of them was the devil. He said, why don't you go also? And he said, gee, Peter stands up and says, to whom would we go? That alone has the words of eternal life. In other words, listen, we've seen the, the Torah, the Old Testament preached for a long time, but you are bringing life to what was preached. You are bringing life to the message we've heard for so many years. Now we see that there's life behind it. Amen. Now we see there's a stimulation to what's been going on. The revelation to this word, it does something, it changes something. There is someone, there's a way to live it. You alone have the words of eternal life. So is it today when people left when he, oh, Brother Bradham came and the, the seven seals were broken. People went, I don't think that's quite right. Oh, then he finally came down to 65. We're just listening to it. Marriage and divorce. Whew. People didn't like that. They didn't like the serpent seed. They didn't like Godhead. Why? They would just fall away and fall away and fall away. And Brother Bradham, he had people that were following him and buns that were homosexuals. I just like that. Well, because Jesus said, I called you 12, one of you's a devil. You don't think Brother Branham knew? But he knew that God said, let those men make the tapes. God said, do that. It wasn't up to him, to his will. All right, Lord, if that's what you want, that's what you want. God will use anything he needs. I love that song this morning, Brother Andrew. I don't think you're here, but if you're streaming, God bless you. God can use the old rusty nails. He could use a piece of wood. He could even use a poor wretched sinner just like me. We don't have to be all polished up. No, he could take a seventh grade, could talk you in with poor grammar and a temper. Amen. And take him and bring the greatest message this world has ever known. God's ways are greater than our ways. Separate yourself. The fire is going to fall one of these days. God is going to let him come and a sight to behold. Would you be ready when he comes? Would you be ready to go up with him when he comes? And he says these words. The secret rapture of a supernatural bride. She'll be made mortal from immortality. She'll be made immortality from mortal. From mortal to immortality she'll be changed in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. We which are alive and remain shall not prevent them which are asleep. Oh, praise God. I don't know what it's going to take to bring rapturing faith, but I can tell you it's in this message. Amen. You say, what do you mean by you say you don't know what it's going to take? I mean, I don't know what event. I don't know if it's going to be seeing my own dead mother raised from the grave. If it's going to be Sister Noreen walking in the doors. I don't know if that's what it's going to be that's finally going to catch the bride up to say, it's time. Perhaps. But all that came from this message. Came from this Bible. Don't take any other thing. Don't sell yourself short and say, well, maybe this message did come to produce an emotion. Maybe this message did come just to produce back to the day of Pentecost. Maybe we'll just have more outpouring of the gifts and more wonderful speaking in tongues. That's wonderful. More uh, interpretation. That's wonderful. 
But that's not what it came to do. It came to prepare a bride for a rapture. Hallelujah. Oh my, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. These people may not learn it be. They might not boast of worldly fame. But they've all received a Pentecost experience. Which cleansed and made them clean. It's burning in my heart. Is it burning in yours? Why? Not just to leave me at a Pentecostal experience. But to bring us to full maturity. Amen. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. I'm one of them. Oh, I'm one of them. Oh, I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. There are people almost everywhere whose hearts are all aflame with the fire that fell at Pentecost, which cleansed and made them clean. It is burning now within my heart. All glory to His name. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of them. Oh, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm so glad that I can say I'm one of 